Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution, Major League Soccer, and the U.S. National Team on WNRI AM 1380. And streaming live on the internet at WNRI.com. Brought to you by Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now, Revolution Recap with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined here today in studio by Brian O'Connell of RevsNet. Got a great show tonight. Coming up later, we have Frank DeLapa. Uh, and joining us after that, we'll have... J- uh, Jack Huckle from the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, um, National Soccer Hall of Fame, I should say. Uh, last night, we'll start out talking last night about the game. Uh, 2-1 victory by the Revs over Salt Lake. In Salt Lake, uh, the Revs have struggled against Salt Lake, certainly. Uh, their last two wins against Salt Lake had come back in 2005. Uh, so Salt Lake only had one win this year. Uh, came away with a 0-0 draw earlier this season. Uh, it was great to see the Revs go down there, get the 2-1 victory. Uh, although they did... Certainly did not make it easy on themselves. Went up a man when Andy Williams got a red card. Uh, then Jeff Laurentowitz scored a, a great free kick goal. Certainly unexpected. Four players lining up. You got Steve Ralston, Kano Smith, Taylor Twalman, Jeff Laurentowitz. You got to figure Steve Ralston's taking that. Certainly seeing Kano Smith take some in the past with uh, not so much success. Uh, Taylor Twalman, great striker. We haven't really seen him take free kicks. Jeff Laurentowitz, I don't remember you know ever seeing him take free kicks, even really in training for the Revs. Uh, he steps up there. Puts in an excellent free kick, curls around the wall, around Nick Romano. And the Revs get out of there with three points, leaving them at the top of the Eastern Division with 30 points after 17 games. Uh, by far the top-scoring team now at this point after those two goals in that game. Uh, defense still a little shaky. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Lorenowitz, and he's just he's just a guy that you, you really don't expect him to get that critical goal as the match is winding down. And obviously you get that first goal from Pat Noonan, and obviously Pat Noonan just, you know, when he's healthy, he's just, you know, him and Taylor Twimmin are by far the best two strikers, striking combination in the league. So to see a guy like Lorenowitz take that, you know, take that free kick like you had said, I mean, I don't ever recall Lorenowitz taking free kicks. Um, you know, maybe my, maybe my memory's not that great, but I, that was just a great, absolutely great goal. I mean, he looked like a seasoned pro. Um, you know, taking those shots, like he's been taking those kicks, you know, since since he started his career in MLS. So, I mean, to see a strike like that, just, I mean, I, I kept checking back MLSnet.com just to see just to see shots of that over and over. And, I mean, just the ball, I mean, it wasn't, it was the trajectory of it, of it I don't think got any higher than three feet. And it just kind of curled right through that wall and just, you know, finds the back of the net. I mean, just a tremendous, tremendous goal, more than just, you know, more more than just, you know, the artistry, I guess you could say, of it, but just... You know that was that was the goal that the Revs really really needed. You know a man up. Um, you know they had just given up that 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 uh, PK to um, to uh, uh, Real when uh, when Beckman Beckman went down in the box. And you know at that point you almost think, oh no, here we go again, one one. Um, another you know another one point, only one point from Real. So to see that goal, you know get to see that goal late in the late in the match and just to. Have the revs hold on. You know, it was just it was it's self encouraging, especially when you know the club can the club needs every point it can get with uh, with the standings being as close as they are. And looking at Salt Lake, they seem to be a much improved team even with the loss. Uh, guys like Kyle Beckerman coming in, they did lose Freddie Adu, but it seems like they're you know making a play to bring in some big name internationals. 
Uh, and they have the space to do so, especially with Freddie Adu gone. So it was good to get a win against this team that, you know, maybe as the season progresses, uh, they talked about it being a new season with the uh, wristband saying 0-0-0, you know, for the record. And this is a team that certainly could pick things up and maybe get some points because the Revs rival. So it's great that, you know, this is the last time the Revs will be playing Salt Lake this season unless, you know, somehow Salt Lake makes the playoffs. But it was a great win, and Salt Lake could, could be a team, as I said, that you know picks things up. So I think they played them at an excellent time, a time when they were you know just starting to gel. But they were also a team coming into the game with a lot of confidence, having beat Everton, tied Boca Juniors. Those are two great teams you know throughout the world. So this is not a bad team. No, not at all. And I mean, like like you had referenced earlier, I mean this was the Revs' first win versus you know Real in like two years. So I mean it just goes to show you know despite you know the record what the record indicates, they always always seem to play uh, the Revs really really tough. I mean you look back at what happened earlier this year, um, the 0-0 draw. Um, you know, you just, you hope, when you see a game like that, yeah, you know, the Revs had their chances, but, you know, all the credits, I mean, all the credits due to Jason Jason Christ, and he's just, you know, he's really kind of just stepped up, and, you know, it, I think he's finally being able to just, you know, mold his team the way he wants it to, whereas, you know, earlier in the season, you know, he was still, he was still, you know, just probably figuring out, who his players were, um, you know, what what kind of role Freddie Adu was going to play, and uh, and like you had said, I mean, Freddie, you know, it looks like he's on his way out to Portugal, and you know, I mean, he just, I mean, to an extent, it looked like he really wasn't, you know, fitting into the system over there, and you know, you see a guy like him just kind of, you know, he kind of steps back, and you kind of say, you know, as a Real fan, you must be like, oh no, what are we going to do? That's, you know, that that's someone that they, I guess, they had high hopes for. Um, but, you know, like you had said, like, Rail always, always plays the Revs very, very well last year. Um, I know they played them, they played them tough, and, you know, it was finally, finally good to get a win against them in almost two years. So, uh, you know, Rail, they have, they have a good core, um, they have a pretty good manager, um, the defending's pretty good, uh, they have, uh, they have Kyle Beckman, like you had mentioned, and, you know, they definitely have the core to, for a team to, uh, to succeed in the future. Maybe not this year, but maybe next year, and who knows from there. And Kyle Brown, who, was a former Revolution player who you heard a lot in the offseason from uh, John Ellinger before Jason Christ took over. Uh, they talked about him being one of the faster players. I didn't hadn't really seen that, you know, when he was with the Revs. Thought maybe it talked about the slow of the lack of speed from the other players on on Salt Lake because the Revs themselves are not a very fast team. But he he did show some speed last night and he did a great job setting up that PK that they got. You know, kind of coming back to haunt his former team. Uh, but it was it was scary to see the Revs. Uh, down, I mean, up a man, and then giving up a penalty and a goal, and you know, almost coming out of there after having a one nothing lead, you know, really controlling the match. Uh, Steve Rawson talked about being disappointed that the team, you know, hasn't been playing well, uh, went up a man, and it was surprising that this is a team that has been together for so long that they haven't really figured out, you know, how to handle and how to how they not, you know, loosen up or ease off a bit when the team is up a man. Oh, absolutely, and I think, um, like you had said, I mean, you know, this is this is a team that's basically the same team that that's stayed together pro- throughout the past three or four years, and um, you know, whatever it is, I mean, you, I mean, you look at you look at this team and you say, you know, why haven't they figured out how to keep how to keep a lead, especially being a man up after after that um, after after um, uh, after uh, uh, they after that that penalty against uh, against Andy Dorman and. And you just you just hope that you know a guy like you know come crunch time that they won't have to go through this you know I'd rather if they have to do this you know rather it have it be now than you know sometime in September or you know October or in the playoffs so I mean you know it just I mean 
when I saw that it was heaps that 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 took Beckerman down, I was like, ah, oh, Jay, what are you doing? Like, you know, you just you just kind of hope, you know, that like, you know, that something like this is just, you know, an isolated incident. Um, but like you had said, you know, you really hope for more when it comes to a team that's as experienced and as, you know, supposedly as gelled as it should be for a team that's pretty much stayed the same for the past few seasons. So, um, you know, is it discouraging a little bit? Yeah, it is. But at the same time, um, you know, it, it, I mean, just, just the fact that they were able to get, get the clincher on that Lorenowitz shot, I mean, you know, I guess all's well that ends well, I guess you could say. Well, speaking of that, Laurentiewicz free kick goal, you know, looking back, the Revs haven't scored in a free kick in a, you know, they scored in the Open Cup. And I remember after the Open Cup game, you know, talking to other members of the media when Steve Rawson scored that goal, that it was hard to remember the last time the Revs had scored directly off a free kick. You know, thinking back, you, you think of Steve Rawson's goal that was almost uh, goal of the year back in 2004. And then you get back to guys like Joe Max Moore when he was on the team and Joe Franchino back when he was taking free kicks uh, who scored goals. It's been a long time for a team that, you know, leads the league in scoring. They don't score on free kicks very often, so it's good to see uh, Jeff step up and take a really a perfectly placed free kick that not many goalkeepers in the world would have come close to saving. Oh no, not at all. And I mean, I mean, there's really nothing you can do like as a keeper. Like there's nothing you can do on on a shot like that. I mean, you saw you saw Raymond, Raymondo just you know just try and make a make an attempt at that, and just there's nothing he could have done. Not, I mean, nobody could have gotten that could have gotten that ball. And um, and it's interesting that you said that you know that uh, Ralston had taken taken one earlier this year in the U.S. Open Cup game uh, versus Rochester and. I remember actually checking. Um, I remember actually uh, during last week's game versus Houston, where I took, where I believe he took a free kick from just outside the box that just sailed maybe a foot above the crossbar, and I was like, wow, you know, um, you know, obviously that close to the net, you you kind of hope for the shot. You, you don't, you're not really playing the pass. You're you're just basically uh, hoping to get it over the wall or through the wall or however way, and just putting a putting a shot on net. So um, again, you know, something something whereas you see. Uh, Lorena would take that shot. You also wonder, you know, what, what was what was the mindset? Not not that I'm second guessing Steve uh, Steve Nickel on this, but you you have to guess, you know, why why wasn't you know Steve Rawson taking that that uh, that free kick ra- rather than uh, Jeff Lorenowitz? But again, I won't argue with the results at all. <laughs> well, certainly Steve Rawson's uh, come close a lot, but uh, you know the fact that they haven't scored off a free kick, I think, in over a year in league play up until this point, uh, unless there's something that I'm you know forgetting. But it's it's great to see that Jeff Lorentwood step up, finally scored a free kick, showing that they're dangerous on these set piece opportunities where that you know they haven't been scoring as much in the set piece opportunities. Uh, they've been scoring a lot from the run of play, as n- noticeable in the stats when they're top of the top of the league in scoring. Uh, but they haven't been scoring on the free kicks. They got a goal from Jeff Lorentwood. It's, it's also great to have more dangerous players on these set pieces. You don't know who's going to take one. It makes it harder for the goalkeeper to set up his wall. It would be nice if they had someone with a left foot like Kano Smith, who maybe could get better at those. Uh, we saw the, the earlier free kick he had this year, which was not so great. Uh, but that, certainly that's something that can be worked on in training, something that can be improved. They don't have that many left-footed players really even on the squad, it seems like. Uh, a guy like uh, Igwe, I believe, uh, is a left-footed player, hasn't seen much time. Uh, I believe there's a couple players with the reserve. I'm trying to you know, think I'm drawing a blank here, yeah. but I remember seeing someone with the reserves take a good left-footed free kick. Now that, that's a qu- quality that really makes the team have to you know, wonder how to set up their wall if, you know, move it left or right, and where the goalkeeper should be positioned. If if you have two guys up there who could send it either way, it, it really changes the what you know the ability of the team to score off these set pieces. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think uh, like you you had mentioned the uh, the the rookies this year. I believe you like you said, Igwe is a left footer. I uh, uh, I remember in training seeing Wells Thompson 
Uh, he takes right. He's he's right foot as well as left footed, so he can use both feet. I don't know how how good he is on set pieces when it comes to uh, when it comes to the free kicks, left footed. But um, but I believe Kyle Helton is a left foot uh, left footed player. Um, just trying to go, going through my mental Rolodex of the rookies this year. Um, but yeah, it's something that, you know, you would like to see them develop, by uh, getting a left, left footed player. And I mean, you know, they have the players to do it. Um, you know, with this crop of rookies, uh, you know, you just, you, you hope that they can kind of develop maybe almost like, like a left footed specialist to take those free kicks. Just, to you know, you have him, you have a left footed specialist and then you also have maybe a, a, a Ralston or, a or a Lorenowitz, and you know you have them both behind the ball, and you just kind of guess. In for for a defense to just kind of guess who's taking that kick, um, if they're both dangerous, I mean it would certainly lend a potent weapon to to uh, an already potent offense that the Revs have this year. So um, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess in in uh, Nickel we trust. Uh, you know, he's uh, he he. I know that there it was much talked about that uh, about bringing in left-footed players uh, for the draft and and uh, both the supplemental and super draft. So. Um, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but who knows? Maybe we'll bring in you know a player from outside to take those, uh, take those left-footed free kicks. And you know, I mean, we only know what's uh, what, what kind of talks are being discussed as far as you know transfers or you know uh, acquisitions from other teams. Um, you know, considering that turn uh, the turnaround here is not that great. I mean, we, like you, like we had mentioned before, it's same core guys pretty much for the past three or four years. Well, speaking of that, it's kind of Joe Franchino, the guy who's been you know out for the season injured. That's we don't talk much about him being missed, but there, there's a place right there where he was he was someone that was pretty good, decent at these free kicks, and certainly a viable option with the left foot. Certainly more so than Connell Smith from what we've seen, uh, and that, that's a place right there where you miss him. Certainly you you saw him missing him earlier when guys like Charlie Joseph and Justin Reynolds are both out. Hopefully that's not something that's going to happen too often with both of them missing. Uh, but he he is a player that out injured. Uh, is someone that could be helping the team, and that's why you have to wonder why the team is not, you know, hasn't brought somebody in yet to fill the the two open roster spots they have from Daniel Hernandez leaving and Joe Franchino being out injured. Uh, speaking of left-footed players, guy from the Gambia U20s who came in and trained with the Revs uh, was pretty dangerous, very fast guy. Uh, he scored on a free kick goal in the Under-20 World Cup with his left foot. He, he was a player I thought maybe would be a good opportunity for the Revs to go, and I don't know if they. If, how he impressed his other practices with the team. I only managed to see one of them. Uh, but there are some options out there, and you think that the Revs, with these two open, uh, open roster spots, would use them to bring in somebody uh, throughout the remainder of the year to fill in some of these holes. Oh, absolutely, and that was, that's a great point with the two open roster spots. I mean, it's almost kind of an afterthought considering you know how, how well this team has done lately. Um, but you're right, there are two open roster spots in which, uh, you know, we, it, it doesn't, I don't think it's, it's beneficial to kind of sit on those open roster spots and not bring in somebody to, uh, you know, to, to take that, to take at least one of those spots. Um, you know, like you had said, you mentioned the kid from, from Gambia who was on the U20s. Um, I don't know what his status is as far as, you know, whether or not he can, he can, uh, play for the Revs or not. But, um, you know, you just, you have that, and you also have, and I know that it's something that the fans like to talk about. It's the uh, designated designated player allocation, and you don't even have to use it on, um, you know, on a kid like that. You can just use a, an open roster spot. I don't think he would command that much money. Um, you know, it, and I know that Nicholas always looking to bring in young guys. Um, I remember a training back in June, where after afterward he uh, he spoke with the media, and I believe somebody had asked him. Uh, if they were talking to anybody about filling that that senior roster spot that left open by Franchino, and uh, I believe it was Nickel who cryptically said, "Yeah, 
and of course, when asked to elaborate on it, he he remained tight-lipped. So, um, you know, so, no surprise there on you know with respect with respect to that. So, uh, you know, you just like you had said, there's got to be players out there that you know, you know that that would that would fill the fill the void quite well. And speaking of designated players. Obviously, Beckham coming in hasn't really been playing due to the injury. Uh, the other guy came in, Blanco. Certainly a lot of hype around that. Not as much as Beckham, certainly. But here's a guy who's just stepped up. Today, the Fire the fire have been struggling a lot lately. Went into Toronto, who's been playing pretty well, trying to turn their season around. Came away with a 3 to nothing victory over Toronto. Really surprising, considering their recent form. And Blanco really was the catalyst, set up their, their game-winning goal, the first goal of the match. He's been a guy that's certainly going to make a difference for Chicago. They're bringing in a guy like uh, Juan Chape, uh, Costa Rican international who's been very proven scorer. These are two guys that can turn a season around and probably will for a team like Chicago, uh, who, who already have a strong core, core group of guys, but uh, with their struggling, needed some help. Uh, the Revs have the spots to do that. Will they do it? Who knows? Steve Nichol talked about wanting to bring guys in. Uh, recently reported by Frank DeLapa in the Globe and Mike Biglin in the Herald, uh, Frank ran out on a little in just a few minutes, actually, uh, was the fact that Nichol had been in negotiations with the player, or the organization had been in negotiations with the player, and made a big offer, was turned down. The talk from, from that, maybe we can get more information out of Frank, was that uh, it seemed like that they didn't really have much of a backup option or a backup plan there. Maybe Nick just wasn't revealing something, but uh, it's kind of tough to put all your efforts into signing one player when it's never a sure thing. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's kind of a fine line between getting somebody who would absolutely you know benefit and then, you know, having his asking price, you know, be higher than than what was expected, and then getting another player, or and getting a player that, you know, you're because you have the money, because you have the open roster spot, uh, you bring in just for the sake of bringing him in. Um, you know, it's a fine line between that and really tinkering with what's working so far. Um, you know, obviously, I don't think you'll hear anybody complain of the fact that the Revs are in first place. Um, so I guess, you know, right now, you know, you you kind of you kind of just play it by ear. Um, I think the situation would be a lot more different if we were closer to the seller than we are right now. So, um, but it would be it would be great to see to to have a guy come in because certainly we do have not only the roster spots, but I believe we also have some of the money left over from the uh, Dempsey tran- transfer. Um, you know, where we definitely have the means and we definitely have the the voids to fill to bring in a guy. Um, you know, who who may be beneficial to this team. Um, you know, as far as glaring needs go, um, I guess, you know, offhand, you could talk about the left wing, um, you know, Connell Smith, you know, it's not Joe Franchino for la- <laughs> to, to be nice. Um, and then you have Wells Thompson who, you know, kind of dabbles both on the right and left. Um, and whether or not he's a successor to Ralston and they keep him on the right, or if, you know, they, they move him to the left, uh, in the meantime, before, um, while they find a replacement is, you know, remains to be seen. So, um, you know, I would like to I would like to see them bring in a player. Just I mean, at least to make the attempt um, to kind you know re, to kind of you know just just you know to to keep the thing uh, to keep it going going forward because you know we're, I mean every, everyone knows that as uh, in this business every player on the team is you know one one hard tackle or one injury away from you know being you know from not being a factor anymore. So I mean you know as as much depth as we do have like at pretty much every position. Um, it doesn't hurt to have a uh, you know a, a, a guy in the wi- and the guy in the wings just in case. Well, we are going to take a quick break in just a second, but before we do, I would like to announce the winner of last week's contest, winning a Revolution home jersey, thanks to EuroSportAndSoccer.com, is Mark St. Clair from Foxborough, Massachusetts. Uh, this week, 
Uh, well, he answered. He got. He won that by correctly answering the question: Which four players have scored hat tricks for the Revolution? Uh, there, of course, are Taylor Twellman, Pat Noonan, Alberta Nevada, and Chris Brown, who's currently with Real Salt Lake <laughs> and played for them last night against the Revolution. A player who didn't see too much time with the Revs scored a hat trick in one of his very few starts, then I believe broke his leg and was uh, cut by the Revs really before he ever really got another chance. Maybe the player that the Revs uh, would like to have in reserve, but uh, some some reason that didn't work out. But this week, our question is, uh, as we mentioned la- last night's game, there was a red card to Andy Williams, a former Revolution player. Uh, this week's question is going to be, which Revolution player had the most red cards? And this is while playing for the Revolution, not throughout his career. But which Revolution player had the most red cards? Uh, the one who did actually played for the Revs from 97 to 2000, if that uh, gives you any clue. But we are going to take a quick break here. And then we'll be back with Frank DeLapa of the Boston Globe. for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams, Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. I think I forgot to mention a couple things. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined by Brian O'Connell of RevsNet. Uh, before I go to Frank, I would like to mention that the contest is send your answer to contest at revolutionrecap.com uh, by Wednesday at midnight. And again, this contest is for an Adidas uh, Revolution Skyline t-shirt, again, courtesy of Eurosport and Soccer.com. And now over the phone, we have Frank DeLapa of the Boston Globe. Frank, can you hear me? I'm good. Yeah, I hear you good, Sean. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks. Good to be with you. Uh, your recent article in the Globe, uh, you talked to Nickel, and uh, he told you about wanting to sign a player that they failed to bring in. Uh, did he give you any impression of you know how big a name this player was? If it was someone that you know, the fans might have known. Right. I had really no no further information on that at all, Sean. Um, um, I really don't. And uh, yeah, they're keeping it pretty quiet, uh, and that's an understatement. So uh, I, I don't know anything about it at all. Um, Nobody seems there's no really good uh, leaks going on there, you know, which is what reporters are always looking for somebody to sort of at least, you know, I haven't heard anything outside the uh, revolution or inside, so I can't even guess who it would be or, or where he's from or anything. Did he give you the impression that they're looking for, you know, actively looking for somebody else since, since they weren't able to sign this player? Uh, yeah, I kind of get that impression. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that process works with the revolution. As you know, they haven't really signed a a foreign player of note um, for a while, you know, um, you know, certainly anybody who was in his prime or who was going to be with the team, you know, in, in, in a big commitment uh, from both sides. I haven't seen that happen for years, really. So, um, so, so I, to say that's happening, um, I think compared to what Chicago and some other teams are doing, I would say then then the answer would be no. But uh, but for how the Revolution does things, uh, I think they are active and uh, they're just 
way below the radar on, on how they're doing it. I know I talked to you out in Rochester when uh, the Rebs scored on that free kick goal by Ross, and we mentioned this earlier. Uh, but Jeff Laurent was scoring the game winner last night on the free kick. You get to training more than I do. Did, have you seen anything from him that would you know, make you think that he was capable of that? Did you expect that at all? <laughs> Not really. I mean, um, you, know, you know he can really strike the ball very well. I mean, actually, he hit a couple good shots uh, you know, in the run of play like that in, in training this last week. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot different uh, taking a free kick like that. That was a pretty much a big-time kick, I thought, and, uh, you know, made it look easy. You know, it wasn't a big deal. He really just, just nailed it. And so, so, yeah, it gives them a couple threats on free kicks, whereas we were talking about this uh, before where they really hadn't scored off free kicks for really a long time, and now all of a sudden maybe they have, you know, a real good threat there with him and Steve Ralston. And watching the game last night, do you think Salt Lake's a team that's going to turn things around? Obviously disappointed with the result last night, but they have made several trades recently. Uh, Jason Christ calls it a new team. Uh, they got some good re- international results. I kind of expected a little more of them coming into this game. They didn't threaten the Revs' goal too much. Uh, do you think they're a team that's going to be able to turn things around and m- maybe make a push for the playoffs? Obviously the playoffs are going to be a hard thing for them to get to uh, this year, especially with the new format, but are they a team capable of turning things around? No, I think it's going to be a couple of years before they, they can really turn things around. You know, uh, Last year they, they rallied at the end and actually didn't have really a bad record by the end. But, uh, you know, that, that could happen again this year. But, but to really, really turn it around where they're not just scrambling, uh, I think it's going to be a while. I think it's going to be a couple of years. Uh, they're just too deep in the hole, and uh, they just never really haven't, they haven't set it up uh, from day one. They haven't set this thing up right. Uh, just a few uh, wrong decisions, and uh, it can go pretty bad. I mean, the revolution was like that in their first years too, and it, it takes—it sometimes takes a long time to to make that, uh, you know, make up for those mistakes. So I think that's where they stand. And Freddie Do recently announced the transfer for him to going to uh, Benfica of Portugal. Uh, do you think that's the right move for him? Is, is that going to help his development? Yeah, I think it could. I think uh, his timing has never been really, really that good. I mean, obviously for. Uh, you know, financially, it's been very good. You know, every, every step he's made has been very uh, good for him financially. But as far as his development goes and everything, I don't think that's ever been just right. I think going to Portugal is a really good option for for a lot of guys in this country, and, and it could be good for him too. It's a good technical league. That, you know, you get on the kind of a, a, a say an off Broadway stage there, but everybody sees you. You know, so if you have any talent at all, you can rise right up uh you know if you're with one of the top clubs you know there's pretty good money there so it's it's an upside thing i i really just don't see him playing at benfica though i if the coach hasn't said any words about him uh you know i know uh Simao has gone to uh spain and he was one of their top players and he kind of plays in that, that position but you know um you know i i hope he i hope he does well i just think that there might be a little bit better position for him or another club that might be a little bit better uh, but, yeah, let's let's just hope for the best because it's a good league for a lot of U.S. players. And speaking of teams making transfers and turning things around, uh, Chicago with a big 3 nothing win you know, at Toronto, a team that had seemed to have turned things around. But Chicago's a team that's really been struggling lately. Brought in Blanco, uh, who was a catalyst for this win, and uh, a guy like Paulo Antropi, a guy who's really proven scorer internationally. This is a team certainly that looks a lot more dangerous than they did just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I know they're a totally different team, aren't they? I mean, it makes you wonder what they've been doing for the last several months, you know, uh, uh, you know, because these moves in the last few weeks have really transformed uh, Chicago, and uh, they should should end up being a pretty good team, uh, you know. You would hope. I think that they make a 
they make the whole league a lot more interesting with players like that, and uh, you know they should have some success. I think Blanco's showing that now, and Juancho sure, sure should show that. So uh, we'll see. It just uh, raises some questions, though, about how how things are done in the MLS, where their teams spend these whole preseasons, and uh, you know what are they doing? And in those preseasons, you got to wonder, you know, when they end up having to just just start the whole thing almost, you know, rip the whole thing up and start over here. The Revs got a tough upcoming stretch, starting with the game this weekend. They got, I believe, seven games uh, in a short period of time. Uh, it seems like every the next couple of weeks there's a midweek game you know, every week for the next three weeks. Uh, speaking of you know, upcoming games, they got Kansas City coming up. Kansas City actually losing right now to Chivas USA at home. That's a good result uh, for Revs fans as far as making some distance. Uh, but w- what do you think of this stretch for the Revs? Is this going to be you know, kind of telling for the team if they manage to make it out of the stretch with some good results? Kind of testing the depth of the team, maybe even. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it'll really test them in that sense. Uh, they got an open cup game as well. Uh, yeah, these, these are good games. They're playing them at home, and they've actually had a little more trouble playing at home than on the road. So uh, I think it's a real test in, in that sense. Uh, I think teams come in here and kind of try to just shut things down, and uh, you know, uh, they've had success. A lot of teams have had success, pretty much shutting things down. Uh, in uh, in Foxborough, so uh, I think they've got to learn. The Revolution has to learn a little bit how to how to sort of take command in those games and unlock uh, the other team's uh, you know defense that that way, and maybe uh, you know possess the ball a little more, have a little more patience. And um, I, I think they they actually lead the league in uh, in goals scored. So it's not that they're not trying uh, and that they don't have the offensive weapons, but I think it's really going to test them. Uh, you know, to see how they, how they, they perform, you know, week in and week out. You know, actually, like you're saying, like every uh, few days against really good competition and uh, teams that are going to be intent on really really stifling the game and holding down the score. Well, you mentioned teams that have been holding down the score. Teams like Salt Lake have certainly done that. Uh, but coming up Thursday, Kansas City, you know, I, I, they were a team that really kind of came out and played a very wide-open game where both teams had end-to-end chances. Uh, and, and, again, you mentioned the Reds being the top-scoring team at home. However, they're also allowed a lot more goals at home than they have on the road. Uh, so that's got to be something that's wearing for the team where, you know, you talk to defenders like Jay Heaps and Michael Parker, some of the leaders of the team, and, you know, they want to get a shutout every game, and particularly at home, you know, defending their, their home uh, field and keeping that advantage. Uh, what do you expect on Thursday against Kansas City, who's a team that's offense is second only to the Revs and caused them a lot of problems, certainly in the last home match with the 4-3 to victory? Yeah, they sure did. That's... Uh, Kansas City's, uh, in recent years, has always caused uh, a lot of problems, and uh, I expect another wide-open game. Uh, I think that game was played on the grass, which was uh, placed over the artificial turf, and uh, the Revolution seemed to think that that actually favored KC uh, in the circumstances. Now they'll be on uh, just everybody uh, running on the artificial turf, so so that Revolution uh, holding the ball with a little more of a quick game, you know, uh, maybe they can control it that way. I think that, uh, that they're going to they're going to surrender some goals. I think other teams are uh, you know have enough firepower to get through on them. Uh, they're only playing with three in the back, uh, you know. So so they're not set up to just stop teams. You know they're set up to go forward. So they're going to leave goals sometimes. These Eddie Johnsons, uh, you know, case he can can exploit. You're breaking up a little bit there, but. Uh, Frank, you're having Frank Lapa over the phone. Are you still there, Frank? Yeah, I'm still here. You hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you now. You were breaking up just then. Uh, but speaking of Kansas City, 
the Eastern Division, top of the top of the standings, are still very close, even with the Revs win last night. A win against Kansas City would go a long way, you know, to kind of building up a lead for the team. The uh, you're saying I didn't the last game when Kansas City won, you mean? Well, I mean the game last night against Salt oh, Lake night. Yeah, that, that put the Revs up atop a little bit, but. Uh, a loss to Kansas City would put them right back in the thick of things. A win could really kind of give them a, a little bit of an edge going forward and have them a, a lead to work with in the standings. Yeah, right. I agree with that. It's really a key point uh, in time in, in, in the season. I mean, basically, they're just getting past the halfway point, and uh, it's a long season. And yeah, the, these are these are what they call those six-point games, right? You know, I mean, a win is uh, three for you, and three the other team doesn't get in your head-to-head. So uh, it's these two next two games of DC and. Kansas City, yeah, they're they're going to really determine a, a lot, uh, you know, how how the how the uh, sort of the run into the playoffs is going to go. Frank, this is Brian O'Connell from RevsNet. I just have a right. question for you about uh, about the uh, upcoming stretch. I know that uh, I know that Sean had mentioned that it's going to be a lot of games in which we do have some midweek games uh, upon us, and obviously we have the Kansas City game, and then we also have the DC game following that. Um, you know followed by the uh, U.S. Open Cup match, and then we also have the L.A. Galaxy uh, match um, the following Sunday. Do you see that as perhaps, even though it's not a uh, uh, an interconference matchup, do you think that Beckham, that Beckham game with uh, L.A. in town, uh, you know, distracts the team in any way? No, I don't think so. Well, I don't know. I, I think it will give them a little more motivation, you know. Uh, some of these regular season games, you know, are, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to find the motivation, uh, I don't mean that uh, they're not motivated, but you know what I mean. That, that having any little extra thing, an incentive, you know, to show, and you know, they know everybody's the eyes of the world, or at least of the U.S. are going to be on them in that game. So, no, I don't think so. I think it'll actually help, uh, you know. Well, speaking of the upcoming stretch, it's a lot of important games for the team with interconference rivals, Kansas City, and D.C., and then the Open Cup match, uh, kind of sandwiched in between D.C. and the Los Angeles Galaxy game. Uh, Certainly the Reds are going to want to put out good showings in all those matches. Uh, but we saw the, the first team really come out and play against Rochester in the Open Cup. Uh, this game, kind of much busier part of the schedule. Uh, it was busy back then, but not, not even as busy as it is right now. Do you think the Reds, maybe against a you know, USL Division II team, not even a Division I team like Rochester, uh, will play, a, play kind of a weakened squad against uh, the Harrisburg team in the Open Cup? Yeah, I think a lot of other teams have done that and paid the price. So I think what they try, want to do, and what they try to do against Rochester, is put the starters out there and then uh, give them a break. You know, after uh, some guys at half, you know, after halftime, maybe at 60 minutes, and uh, you know, kind of get the game under control and 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 uh, try to do that. I think they'll probably probably try to do that again. You know, and uh, you know that this this team actually needs to get to be good enough to where they can do that. And not have to like you know go to the wire, you know, with, with those teams because you know, once you get a goal or two lead, that you know they should be able to hold it, and that was the problem in Rochester. So we'll see. I think they're going to try to go for it again with Harrisburg. Well, certainly, I you know that Nickel did mention that he wanted to sub out those players, but then he didn't because of the you know the two goals that Rochester got back made him want to force the issue and keep out those players, which I think was great to see his willingness to keep those players out there. You know, make the win his number one priority. You know, resting the players is. Now, second priority, uh, but we will let you go here in just a second. Before we do, uh, can you tell us any, anything about uh, any of your upcoming pieces you have for the Globe or any other places you'll be running for? Yeah, good. Uh, let's see. I think, well, you know, I think I'd like to do what uh, we talked about when you, when, you know, at the start of this, uh, try to figure out, you know, just exactly where the revolution is going in terms of getting a, an international player in here. And, 
uh, I think that's that's uh, you know it's one of the interesting things. The other thing is that uh, you know I think that uh, this coaching staff has done done a pretty good job, and I don't think they're, they're going to be here forever. You know, I think Steve Nichol at some point will get an offer to go on, and probably be long before that, because I think he'll be here for two or three more years or whatever. But Paul Mariner, the assistant coach, might uh, be moving on with uh, you know uh, expansion teams coming into into the league. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, Frank, and keep up the great work covering the Revs. Okay, Sean, good to be with both of you. Thank you, Frank. Again, that was Frank DeLapa from the Boston Globe. Uh, We are going to take another quick break here, and then we'll be back with Jack Huggle from the National Soccer Hall of Fame. for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams, Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined here in studio by Brian O'Connell from RevsNet. Now over the phone, we have Jack Huckle from the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Jack, can you hear me? I can hear you fine, Sean. Great to hear your voice again. Thanks a lot for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Well, first of all, looking at the upcoming induction schedule, you got a lot planned this year. I know we talked to you earlier. You know, very big induction guys, people like Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy, uh, making it into the National Hall of Fame, and Alan Rothenberg and Bobby Smith, you know, big year for the Hall of Fame. Uh, what are some of the highlights that we can expect at this upcoming induction taking place on uh, the weekend of August 25th? Well, it is a big year for us, and, you know, the last couple of years we've held induction inside the museum and filled it up, and so this year with me and Julie, we thought the museum's not going to hold everybody, <laughs> so we're going to go outdoors. It'll be our first uh, first modern induction ceremony done outdoors. We're going to do it in front of that big bursting ball sculpture on the front of the building, have a stage there. It's going to be real exciting, and we'll have rooms room for uh, several thousand fans, and, and uh, we really anticipate a big crowd this year. And you do have a uh, Hall of Fame game planned again this year. Could you give us any more information on that and uh, the pro-women's match? Uh, can I tell you that uh, we'll have it all out on Tuesday. We're polishing the details right now, but it's going to be a match that uh, everybody's going to want to be there for. Um, it's going to be exciting. You're going to get to see the players you want to see play the game. And so it's going to be exciting. And uh, teams that'll, that will form the core of... Uh, of the teams for next year's women's league. So I'm excited about the arrangements we've made. We just got to dot a few more I's and cross a few more T's, and we ought to have it out next Tuesday, Wednesday. I think we might see some of the players, uh, the inductive players, play on the match like we have in the past. 
Well, we'd like to continue that uh, that tradition. So we're hopeful that that's what's going to happen. Uh, that's part of the I's and the T's, Sean. <laughs> and looking at uh, the players who are up for induction this year, a lot of great names on there in addition to those two. Guys like Joe Max Moore from the Revolution who you know had a great career with the U.S. Uh, do, you, do you think there were a lot of players around this ballot that missed out that you know, we'll be seeing in future years get in? I, I do really think so. I think Joe Max is a great example um, Joy Fawcett is another terrific example of, of players who've had wonderful careers professionally and for the United States and certainly have polled well in the past. Um, you know, the key ingredient is you got to get 75% of the vote. Uh, we've made a slight adjustment in rules for upcoming years, and you get 75% of the vote and you're in. No more uh, the top two plus a third if it's 80%. So it's going to be a cleaner election process. Well, looking at the induction ballot, uh, it seems to be getting tougher and tougher to make it in each year with you know, more, more and more great players and you know, higher standards to make it in the Hall of Fame. Do you think that speaks to the caliber of the player in the U.S. getting better? I think it does. I think it, it speaks to that we've spread the voting base um, so much of the media is involved, uh, close to 100 media, along with Hall of Famers and and a small group of administrators. Really, the media have the largest proportion of the vote, and I think they're they're wanting the Hall of Fame to establish a high standard. That's all. That's what I'm reading out of it. That they want to be sure that the players that are voted meet a very high standard. And I'm excited about that. It's taken us a while to get there, um, but um, but I think there's a greater and greater appreciation of of the Hall of Fame by the the players, the players being inducted, and uh, and the media. Jack, this is Brian O'Connell from uh, RevsNet.com. I uh, just wanted to uh, just wanted to comment on something that you had mentioned as far as the uh, this year's induction ceremonies being held outdoors. Um, is that is that also, in part due to the fact, not only because of the fact that you know you, we, it seems the induction ceremonies seem to be getting more and more popular every year, um, but also because of a headliner like Mia Hamm, who's pro- probably one of the most recognizable names in American soccer. Um, is she is does her induction have a, any any part in having that having the ceremonies be outdoors this year just to accommodate um, more more uh, you know media and more uh, more fans? Yeah, it certainly does. Um, Mia's transcended soccer into being a media celebrity kind of star in, in People magazine and on Good Morning, Good Morning America and the Today Show. She certainly um, used her, her success as a soccer player for several worthy causes and uh, for the promotion of, of women's athletics in general. And uh, that's given her a much wider base and certainly for uh, some of us diehard Red Sox fan um, having a partner in Nomar, that's uh, <laughs> it's still a good feeling for us. And this isn't the Brian O'Connell who played for me at Skidmore College some years ago. No, no, that would be a different <laughs> Brian O'Connell. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, and, and that's really true. Uh, Brian O'Connell from Wellesley, Mass, played for me in the uh, middle 90s. Oh, sounds like I have a doppelganger out there somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and also looking at the voting, Mia Hamm, you know, also speaking to her popularity, uh, the highest the highest percentage of votes 
uh, any players gotten it uh, since 2004 with the current balloting system? Yes. Uh, well, the highest that we've really ever gotten um, surpassed uh, Michelle Aker's numbers. I don't have them all right in front of me, but uh, certainly was a popular choice, and so was Julie. Um, big, big numbers, and, and again, I think the media is telling us that they they want to recognize true excellence and they want to make sure it's the best of the best of the best that uh, they become the future Hall of Famers. Speaking of the voting process, I think it was only recently that some of the foreign stars who played in MLS have made it onto the ballot. Uh, there's a lot of great names out there who had a lot of success. How do you kind of weigh against a you know American player who's really helped the national team against you know an MLS player uh, who's had a lot of success in MLS and elsewhere? Well, I think think that's true, and it'll be interesting to keep watching um, how well Valderrama receives votes or Marco Echeverri receives votes. I I think again our voters I think are telling us that um, that they're they think it's important that a player have contributed to the success of the national team to receive their vote. That's um, that's what I get from seeing what the vote totals are like. Um, a priority for many of them on the American player and the player who's contributed to building the game here. Uh, that's, that's how I read the vote. You know, I, I try to be... As impartial, I think uh, Carlos Valderrama and Marco Echevarria were tremendous players, helped grow Major League Soccer in its earliest years, and now it's in the hands of the voters. Obviously, you have uh, Jack. You obviously have uh, Judy Fowdy and Mia Hamm, uh, perhaps being the headliners of this year's induction class. But a name that maybe not so many that's not so many uh, not so uh, known is Alan Rothenberg, and I think. Um, you know, as as someone who's followed soccer, it's it's surprising to see that it's almost taken this long for him to get into the Hall of Fame, considering all he's done with uh, with his role as uh, bringing uh, with his role as kind of the chairperson as bringing uh, you know the World Cup to the states in '94, um, being the president of U.S. Soccer for a while, and basically overseeing. Um, I guess you could call the rebirth of, of professional soccer here in the states. Um, were you sh- were you shocked at all that it kind of took him this uh, took him a while to get into the uh, in- into the soccer hall of fame? You know, I think anytime you you do the moving and shaking that Alan did of the soccer tree, um, there are you make enemies and uh, of of other people in the game, uh, recognizing that our builders are voted on by our Hall of Famers, and many of those have been past U.S. soccer administrators. I think that's a part of why it took Allen a little bit to gain this recognition. At the same time, he created the stage that me and Julie have have played on. Uh, he became president in uh, 1990, and so that he was president for the first Women's World Cup, that 94 World Cup helped form MLS, his contributions. And and I guess even beyond that is he made soccer a property where um, advertisers were willing to invest their money into soccer as a promotional vehicle, whether it's, um, uh, you know, any of those commercial properties, whether it's Gatorade or Nike or Adidas. He's the one that really created the base to turn it into a commercial property. 
So uh, an, an honor really richly deserved. And that's not talking about um, his ability to make the 94 World Cup so successful that the that the U.S. Soccer Foundation was creative, created, and they continue to invest money in growing the sport. So uh, he's got a tremendous legacy. The final player, I mean, the final person getting inducted is Bobby Smith, who played in the NASL. Uh, the same time, Pele was there for a little bit and actually made the uh, all the uh, all league team there. The year Pele first made it into the league. Uh, here's a guy who was one of the who's the lone American to actually make that team. Uh, back Very in a league, few Americans made those all-star teams. <laughs> back in a back in a league where it was really dominated by uh, the foreign big-name stars that they brought in, uh, a, a guy like that, how did, how um, do you think the league the league and the landscape of American soccer has changed since when he was playing here? Uh, well, clearly the MLS has changed in that it's really given the American player a, a great opportunity to play. Um, we don't. We don't have a history of of the national team play like we do today from the 70s when Bobby played. And he played on those national teams. But the American players weren't getting enough opportunity to play to form a strong team so that we could challenge Mexico for the leadership of the, of the region. We didn't qualify for the World Cup in those years. And I think what stands out that, that Bobby and a past American we've inducted into the Hall of Fame from that era, Arnie Mauser and Ricky Davis, really formed the core of the team, but there weren't enough experienced, advancing, high-quality American players to play at the international level then. Uh, Bobby's pretty remarkable and just a great personality. I'm, I am so looking forward to his, uh, his acceptance speech because... I know it'll have people in the aisles laughing and crying. He's just a great personality and a great representative for the game. Well, speaking of Pele, uh, the new big signing, uh, David Beckham, what kind of impact do you think he'll have? What do you think his lasting impact will be, uh, you know, looking back at the league several years from now? Uh, and do you think, actually, that it'll have a you know, long-lasting impact on the, the state of American soccer? Well, I have compared it to when Pele came. Uh, and I think the same question is there. David Beckham will give the opportunity for the Revs to sell five or 10,000 more tickets than they might sell for first-time people to a game because it's David Beckham. And the real question is, can the Revs and the Galaxy and the Revs as the home team put on enough of a of a athletic and entertainment spectacle that those people will come back and buy tickets for the days when Beckham isn't there. And I think that's the challenge. That was the challenge in the NASL. When Pelé played, 40,000 people showed up. When it was Tulsa versus Minnesota, it was 3,000 people in Tulsa, and that wasn't enough to sustain the league. Now, we're in, in much better shape than that in that virtually every team is has a, has a good, solid fan base. But can those other teams by having Beckham come in, bring those extra fans in, hook those people into season tickets the way the Galaxy have with their extra five, 6,000 season tickets that they've, they've gotten for the season. I do think that's the real question. And, you know, Sean, all of us, we're all hoping 
that the answer to that is, yeah, the league's going to do that. And let's hope that's the way it turns out. And Jack, you had mentioned, uh, obviously, the comparisons made between Pele's arrival back in the 70s and Beckham's arrival, uh, you know, within the past two weeks. And, um, you know, I guess the, the most glaring difference is that, you know, Pele was, he was a goal scorer. He, he came in, he played for the Cosmos, and he just, you know, he, he had, he was, he was a striker. He wasn't, you know, the, uh, you know the the uh, the winger that just kind of you know sending those beautiful banana crosses. Now, with that being said, um, do you think when you compare the two situations, with the amount of media that we have now that now that we have the internet and we have you know hundreds upon hundreds of channels that you know in the past week or so I've just devoted at some point or another at least you know a considerable amount of time to Beckham's arrival. Do you think that? Given the uh, given the atmosphere of you know the media nowadays as as compared to the before, do you think that you know I, I would think that would help the situation even more, even though Pele and Beckham are you know obviously quite different players. Well, there's no question. You know, I um, I look at Google News, which every morning, which says you know uh, the top stories, and then how many other places those stories are, and suddenly the soccer stories have. Thousands of uh, Beckham story has thousands of sources, and not only that, on the entertainment column, there's thousands of stories that are different from the soccer stories. So he's given us a real opportunity to expose the game to the casual fan, and it's our obligation as soccer people to hook that casual fan in by giving them an exciting, fun product the same way that's what we have to do at the museum we have to sell you on coming and seeing it and going walking away and saying wow that's cool i gotta come back and i gotta tell my friends to come and that's what i really hope that he's able to do it it is really exciting he's a very different player than Pelé, but Pelé also wasn't a media star which obviously david and victoria are well, I'd like to thank you a lot for joining us today, Jack. And we do have to wrap things up. We're running out of time here. But I'd like to remind everybody that the Hall of Fame weekend kicks off on Friday, August 24th, and culminates on the Sunday, August 26th with the induction day. I know I've been there in the past. It's certainly a lot of fun. So especially if you're a fan of Mia Hammer, Julie Fowdy, uh, you definitely got to go check that out. Well, thanks for the plug, Sean. Uh, we hope we see lots of people there. It's going to be a great weekend. There's golf, tennis, youth clinics. And uh, just a fabulous Sunday with exhibition games and induction ceremony. And keep a lookout for that Hall of Fame game. Well, thanks again, Jack. And uh, we will be back next week at uh, Sunday at 7. We're running out of time here. But uh, the next two upcoming games on Thursday against Kansas City, then Sunday against D.C., both home games, two excellent matches. Uh, definitely worth checking out, especially the Kansas City game, and see how the Reds react to uh, the 4-3 disappointing loss they suffered at home to that team. Uh, but we'll be back next week, and you can check out the archives at revolutionrecap.com. <laughs>